All right, scripture day is from Deuteronomy 14, 1 through 8 and 21. You are the son of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your forehead for the dead. For you are the people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, you shall not eat any abomination. These are the animals that you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts, every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud, among you the animal you may eat. Yet those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these. The camel, the hare, the rock badger, yeah, the rock badger, because they chew the cud but do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, because it is part, and the pig because it parts the hoof but does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcass you shall not touch. You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for these words of yours. We thank you that your words are the words of life for us. We pray that they would be so this morning, that as we meditate upon you, Jesus, as you're found in this passage, that you would be for us what we need you to be, that you would fill us with your grace, that you would reveal to us your truth, that you would form us more and more into your holy people. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Let me add my welcome to Max. I'm John Sweet. I'm the pastor here at Grace and Peace Austin. Uh, And today is a good day. Today is a fun day. To welcome new members uh, into a congregation is a wonderful opportunity. It's uh, honestly one of the highlights of being a pastor, baptisms and memberships. By the way, in a couple weeks, we're going to have a baptism Sunday on November the 3rd. Hope that you'll be able to worship with us then as well. But membership is an important Sunday, and it's a way to recognize the grace of Christ in our life. Because honestly, only because of Jesus and His Spirit would anyone sign up to be a member of this motley crew, right? Only because of Jesus and His grace. Think about it. Think about the vows that we take when we become a member, that we recognize that we are in desperate need of God's grace as He's given it to us in Jesus. In other words, what we're saying is what gives us commonality here as members of a congregation is that none of us have it all together, is that we've all come to recognize without Jesus and his spirit, we live in the mess of our own making and we're in big trouble. We've come to recognize that Jesus is indeed our life. He is indeed our grace and that we need him at every moment and that without him, Things are going to fall apart. We are, in other words, 
a motley crew of people who need Jesus at every moment. That's our commonality. And at the same time, there's something beautiful and compelling about being part of a family that admits our need, lives honestly before one another, and then turns to Jesus to find life and to participate in his purposes. We can actually be a beautiful and a compelling group of people together. The New Testament particularly has all sorts of ways to talk about who the church is. The vine, a family, the temple. But one of the ways that the Bible talks about a community of Jesus is holiness. As a holy people together. Is that what comes to your mind when you think about what it means to be part of a church? To be holy. This is what the Apostle Peter says in part as he's reflecting upon Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Peter, one of the first members of one of Jesus' first churches, a founding member, says this in his letter. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy but now you've received mercy. We are indeed a holy nation and called to live as such. But maybe the question in your mind and your heart this morning is, is holiness such a good thing? Is it a good and beautiful and compelling thing to be holy? I think culturally we would ask that question, wouldn't we? Holy? You want to be holy? Thus the title of the sermon, if you pay attention to those sorts of things. Holy is not a four-letter word. Kate, my daughter, actually asks me if she can be part of my sermon, so this is not offensive to her. She, on the front row this morning, said, Dad, I don't understand your title because holy is a four-letter word. And it is literally a four-letter word. And... Symbolically, right, it could be treated as a four-letter word, as something taboo, to be avoided, not to be embraced. Think about the way that the word holy is used in common parlance, if it's used at all. Have you ever heard people throwing the word holy around? Usually, it has er than thou behind it, as in holier than thou, as in somebody who has a sense of moral superiority that is arrogant and that is prideful, uh, that is judgmental and demeaning of others. That's the way we think of holiness uh, broadly in our culture, right? The image that comes to mind for me is uh, the kid who aces the test again Right? And he sits on the front row and he's smugly looking over his shoulder at the rest of the class who he's just ruined the curve for again with that self-satisfied, arrogant smirk on his face. It's the image of what we think of sometimes when we think of holy, holier than thou, on our pedestal, looking down our noses at all the rest. Sometimes we in the church can unwittingly buy into that definition as well, that 
holiness for us can either be a moral expectation that we believe we have to live up to and then has the potential to crush us, or it can be a badge of honor that puffs us up and gets us up on a pedestal from which we do actually look down our nose at the moral less thans around us. And yet, and yet, the scriptures call us to holiness, not just as individuals, but as a community together. One of the marks of grace and peace, Austin, ought to be holiness. God says, be holy as I am holy. God's holiness must be beautiful and must be compelling because it's his very nature. And if ours is to reflect that, then ours must in some way be beautiful and compelling as well. Psalm 96 puts it beautifully, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In the passage that we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, a holy nation is our identity that is in response to God's mercy. It's an identity that goes hand in hand with being a priesthood. In other words, a group of people who are to take God's blessing and grace and love and mediate it to those around us. Holiness in the scriptures is a beautiful and compelling community to be and way to live. And so my question to you this morning, my question to me this morning is what might it take for us to rediscover the beauty of holiness and then rehabilitate, excuse me, the reputation of holiness for our neighbors, to rediscover its beauty and to rehab its reputation for our neighbors. Strangely enough, the answer for us can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 14. If you've been around grace and peace for the past few months, you know we've been studying the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, looking at the ways God invites us to put our roots down into covenant relationship with him so that we can then bear fruit for our friends and neighbors. And we found Deuteronomy to be quite relevant for our lives here in 21st century Austin. And we can come to passages like the Ten Commandments and we can see, yes, Ten Commandments mediated through Jesus, that makes sense for who we are here in Austin. The Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Yes, that resonates with us. It makes sense to us the way that as we mediate through that through Jesus can give us guidance and direction for our lives as a community here in Austin. What do you think about, how do you feel about Deuteronomy chapter 14? Were you expecting this one? Right? It kind of catches you off guard if you're reading your way through the Bible and you're not familiar with God and his Old Testament people. And what in the world do Robucks and Ibexes have to do with holiness or being God's people who can bear fruit for the nations? And yet, here we are. Here we are. And actually, gazelles and Robucks and Ibexes and the mountain sheep have everything to do with bearing good fruit for our neighbors here in Austin. The holiness that God is inviting us to have marked the life of our community together is a holiness that will both connect us back into our belonging to God 
and will bear fruit in the lives of our neighbors around us. See, holiness is far from a moral superiority that is all about us. Holiness, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, is about belonging to God and blessing those around us. We want to look at these two aspects of the beauty of holiness together. If you're like me, you come to this passage and you skip right to verse 3. You shall not eat any abomination. Oh, which animals are abominable to God and which are not? Let me read further, right? And we go right to the you can eat and you can't eat and we move right past verses 1 and 2, which remind us that holiness in the scriptures is first a gift that we receive before it is a life that we live. Did you notice that? In verse 1, it says, You are the sons of the Lord your God. You are the family of God. And then in verse 2, Because you are a people, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Did you hear that? Moses doesn't say you will be a people holy to God if you live holy lives. He doesn't say you might be. He doesn't say you can be. He says you are God's children. You are God's holy treasured possession. You already belong to him in holiness. And because you belong to him, because you are holy, then you ought to live in such a way publicly before the watching world that marks you out distinctively as belonging to him. Holiness in the Bible is about being set apart, being distinctive. But distinctive for what? Distinctive as whom? Deuteronomy chapter 14 says distinctive as God's treasured possession. And so when we come to the list of what Israel can and can't eat as God's treasured possession, the point is they are to live in a way that makes them distinct that sets them apart from the other nations because they are following and serving and loving a God who is distinct and separate and apart from all the other nations. Look at verse 1. It begins with the most bizarre, maybe, of the entire passage. You shall not cut yourself or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. Now, as somebody with a bit of a bald forehead, I can understand why there might be a desire to mark your hairline with baldness. But God says, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. What's the point? Right? The point is not to keep people from having a beautiful hairline like mine. The point is that the other nations around, the Baal worshipers, had particular rituals for the way that they buried their dead. And Moses is saying, don't do it that way because you're not those people. You are my particular people. And so you're going to live in a way that lets others know that you belong to me. The way you bury your dead is going to say, we belong to Yahweh. 
And then he goes on, the way you eat your food is going to say to others, we belong to Yahweh. So you're going to eat only animals that have the split hoof and chew the cud. We don't know exactly why that kind of eating marks Israel out as God's people. There are scholars and theologians and historians that love to geek out on questions like this. And they can't figure it out. There's no consensus as to what the significance is exactly. It has something to do with the symbolism of the animals. But that's the point. The point is to not figure out exactly what the distinctive is. The point is to say you are distinctive. You are set apart. You are marked out. Why? Because you belong to me, Yahweh says. So friends, if our question is, how can we rediscover the beauty of holiness ourselves, for those of us in this room who are followers of Jesus, my question to you is, is this the way that you think about holiness? If a pastor were to say to you, go and be holy, do you think, I need to go and to live into and rediscover the beauty of belonging to Jesus. Is that the way that you think of holiness? That the pursuit of holiness is a pursuit of giving the entirety of my life, not just the spiritual part, but the public part as well that others can see, give my entire life over in response to the privilege of belonging to God. Remember, the story of Israel leading up to the Jordan where they're standing and receiving the commands of Deuteronomy. This is Yahweh who delivered them from Egypt. This is Elohim who created the world as a gift for them. This is the God who sustains them at every moment, who is blessing them with good in the land, who is inviting them to be his people for the sake of their neighbors, giving them purpose that they never dreamed of. This God, this Yahweh is saying, you belong to me. You are my treasured possession, my most valued trinket of everything that I've made. I treasure you the most. And guess what? As my holy set-aside people you get to live that way. Is that how you think of holiness in your own life? How many of you, has anyone seen the movie Chariots of Fire? This is going to age me for sure. Okay, good. There's some hands out there. Chariots of Fire, wonderful, wonderful movie. If you haven't seen it, you should go see it. It tells the story of Eric Little, who's a Scottish Christian in the early 1900s, uh, and he is uh, from a family of missionaries, and he's going to be a missionary one day. But at the present moment, he's a runner, and he's fast, and he's training for the 1924 Paris Olympics. He's also a devout Christian, uh, and he believes devoutly and sincerely that a Christian ought not to run on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is the Lord's day. And so as he sees the lineup for the races for the Olympics, he realizes that his strongest event, the heat falls on a Sunday. And so he makes a conscience-driven decision not to run. 
because he believes that living as set apart for God is important. And so he makes a holy decision, a distinct way to understand what to do on a Sunday for him in that time. But that's not the only holy decision that Eric Little makes in that movie, right? If you've seen it, you remember that he misses a church gathering and his sister comes to him and she challenges him, why are you doing all this running business? You're holy to the Lord in essence. What are you doing? And do you remember what he says? He says, I'm going to be a missionary. But sis, God made me fast. I love to run. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And that, too, is a decision of holiness. It's a decision to live into the beauty of belonging to God, not just on Sunday, but when he's running a race to say, I belong to God and he made me fast. And when I run, I get to experience him. And what a privilege. That too is holiness. Is that how you think of the beauty of holiness? That it is a call for you to live into and pursue the very presence of God in your life because you belong to him. Friends, holiness is far far from a prideful, arrogant, me-centered behavior. It's pushing into the beauty of a life with God to be the treasured possession that he longs for us to be on the one hand. And on the other hand, holiness is about blessing those around us. Far, far from being a prideful, arrogant position from which we put others down and hurt them so that we can feel better about ourselves. Holiness is actually about blessing others. And this makes sense too. Be holy for I am holy, God says. Our holiness is to be in response to His holiness, but it is also to reflect His holiness, right? The way that we engage a life of holiness ought to reflect the way that God Himself is holy. That only makes sense, right? If holiness is about being His, then our holiness ought to reflect His. It's hard to see in this passage, right? As I said, we can't know exactly in that culture why these particular food laws, what you can and can't eat, reflect the holiness of God. But we know that they do. And we can see it perhaps a little bit in verse 21. When Moses says you should not boil a young goat in its mother's milk, uh, which is a very, very strange one. But there is a kind of logic to it if you think about it, right? The mother's milk is the way that God gives life to a baby goat through his mother. And so to cook a killed baby goat in the very thing that gave that goat life goes against God's character as the God who gives us life. It it makes some kind of sense. This is the one in this list of food laws that we could say, yes, that, I see that, that that way that God gave his people to be holy fits who God is. 
But it gets much more clear in chapter 15, in the next chapter in Deuteronomy. Terry's going to preach next week. We're going to see in Deuteronomy chapter 15 all sorts of legislation, laws that God gives his people so that they would act compassionately and justly toward the least of these in their midst, right? That there is a moral component to holiness. And the way that Israel was to be set aside, different than all their neighbors, when it comes to their civil law code, is that they are going to push into justice. They're going to move forward with mercy. Why? Because that's who God is. You're going to treat your servants well because you were slaves in Egypt. You are going to give people the dignity that an image bearer of Yahweh deserves because that's what he's given you. You are going to be generous and compassionate toward others, particularly the least of these, because you were the least of these. And how did Yahweh treat you? Right? Your holiness is going to reflect God's holiness. And if God's holiness is always about the good of others, which it is, then his people's holiness is always going to be for the good of others. It must be. If we're engaging holiness as followers of Jesus in a way that does justice to God's holiness itself. And so it pulls the rug right out from under us when our holiness becomes about us, about our goodness, about our moral superiority, about our betterness than anybody. No, if our holiness is truly hurting somebody else, then it is not God's holiness. Friends, we're asking the question, how can we rediscover the beauty of holiness? And Deuteronomy 14 is an invitation to see that holiness is about belonging to God himself and living our way into his presence. And holiness, on the other hand, is about living in a way that reflects God's goodness, which will inevitably, ultimately, and always be good for those around us. See, here's the logic for Israel. I was listening to an interview with uh, somebody who had gone to Austin City Limits, and they were reflecting, this was their first time, and they were reflecting on these bizarre banners that they would see all throughout the crowds. And if you've been to Austin City Limits, you probably know what I'm talking about. They're these creative, beautiful banners that people will make, and they send them up vertically really, really tall, 20 feet or so. And the point is, for their friends who are scattered around Austin City Limits, and you can't use cell phones, to be able to see the banner, right? See the unique, distinctive banner, and then be drawn to the banner. That's the point of that banner. That banner is a holiness banner if you're using the logic of Deuteronomy. Because what did God say? God said to his people, you are going to be my people, and as my people, you are going to live in a way that brings the nations in. Right? So God essentially says to Israel, you are going to be a banner of holiness. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be distinct. 
It's going to be compelling. It's going to be so compelling that when the nations see that banner of your holiness, they're going to want to come in. And they're going to ask, what kind of God gives birth to this kind of people who live in such beautiful ways? I want in with that God. Israel's holiness has nothing to do with pride or arrogance or judgmentalism. It has everything to do with living into the beauty of their loving God and then living that beauty out so that the nations could come in. Friends, does that sound like a holiness that we, as a family of Jesus followers here in Austin, can wrap our hearts around and can wrap our lives around? And if it does, what would that look like in our lives together, in living holiness out practically? What might it look like to be the kind of community that our Austin friends and neighbors would look at and not say, eh, another holier-than-thou Christian, but rather say, there's something there. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something going on here, and I'd like to know more. A couple quick things, and we're done. The first is that kind of holiness can only happen in Jesus. It can only happen in Jesus. Right? The problem for Israel was that they started to believe their own hype. Right? They forgot that holiness was a gift first. They started to believe the hype that holiness was something of their own creation. They started to say, huh, yeah, look at us, nation. We've got Yahweh. We're the good ones. You're the bad ones. They put their white hat on. They put the black hat on their neighbors. And they created the version of holiness that people respond to with distaste. Why did they do that? I don't know why they did that, but I know why I do that. Because can you, with me, admit that sometimes we do live in a way that gives credence to that misunderstanding of holiness, that sometimes we do strive for a sense of moral achievement that we can hang our hat on and say, I am good enough. I deserve to be God's set-apart people. And when we do that, the game is lost. Because if we try to look to our own holiness and our own moral achievement as enough to be right with God and to earn His favor and belonging with Him, then we have to do it at the expense of somebody else. And how do we break free of that misapplied holiness? Receive the gift of holiness yet again. Remind ourselves That in Jesus, we have the full expression of the gift of holiness that God has invited us into. Friends, the great exchange that we have from the cross is that Jesus, the only one, the only one, the only 
Israelite, the only follower of God who ever, ever, ever lived fully in response to the invitation of God to be his true people. And the only one who ever lived a holy life that was only, always, truly to bless others. The only one who ever did it, Jesus, on the cross says, all of my righteousness, all of my holiness is yours through faith. All you have to do is take it. And the exchange is this. He says, in exchange, I'll take all of your failure to live appropriately in response to God's holiness. I'll take it all. And I'll give you mine. And friends, in Jesus, our holiness is now playing with house money. There's nothing we have to prove. We have the gift. And now we can go live it. I'm going to end with a question. I'm going to let you work on your own application this morning. In your life, where is a public place that you can begin to live a holy life for others or continue? Not just in your personal, intimate, spiritual relationship with Jesus, but in a place where somebody can look and see that you're living distinctly because you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's in your classroom. Maybe it's in your boardroom. Maybe it's at the park. Maybe it's in the soccer field. But somewhere, think of a place in your life where you're living publicly before others. And what would it take for you to live so distinctly in a way that mirrors Jesus, right? Live so distinctly, counterculturally, in a way that sets you apart, but in a way that reflects Jesus' character himself, that somebody watching would say, I think that's holiness, and I think I want some of that. What would it take for us together as a family, a newly grown family, to live in such a way consistently in front of our Austin neighbors that they would look and see and say, I think, I think that's holiness, and I think I want some myself. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you again for who you are. We thank you that you truly are the Holy One of Israel. We thank you that in you we can rediscover the beauty of living in God's presence as his possession. And we can rediscover the joy of living holy lives by giving ourselves away for the sake of others. Would you help us to do it? By your spirit and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.